shall we start today? And we'll welcome uh, Tony Graham to give us a talk on both votes for SNP. Uh, now, be remember, this is a talk on the voting system. We are not advocating voting for any specific uh, political party, as we are neutral on that uh, subject. Okay, so if you just bear that in mind. Uh, so let's get started and a quick introduction to Tony. Uh, Tony, as I said before, was a one-time election agent and has a keen interest in campaigning and elections. And I haven't listened to uh, those in social media giving misleading information. He reckoned he could do a better job himself. So here he is today to let us know all the ins and outs of the Holyrood voting system. Over to you, Tony. Okay, right, okay. That's a big thing to live up to anyway. Anyway, <laughs> can I say hello, everybody? Hello, hello Glasgow. Um, don't hold it against me now. I'm an Edinburgh pensioner, but there we're all we're all on the same side looking for Indy. Um, yes. And what I want to uh, cover, first of all, is um, the vagaries of the uh, list voting system and how it actually works, and then the politics of it. So there's mathematics and then there's politics, but didn't fall asleep. I'll try and make it interesting as I go. Um, this is a presentation that I've been given uh, to lots of people now, well over a thousand. So it's, uh, it'd be interesting to get your take on it as well and to answer your questions. And as we know, it's a fast moving uh, situation all the time as we found out today. So. Uh, that's it. So what I'm going to do is share my screen, if the technology works fine, and uh, run through a presentation talking it, and then I'm happy to get all sorts of questions fired at me. Now, in saying all this, right, I'm not an SNP official or anything like that. I'm an ordinary campaigner, right? Just been doing it for, God, since I was 16, probably when I was in Wendy Wood's outfit, the Scottish Patriots. So I've always been an independence person, but was in the Labour Party when I was in uh, south of England for a long time, and then moved back, moving to the SNP when I came back to Scotland. And you might know, of course, of my sister, Christine Graham, who's the MSP for Midlothian Tweeddale and Waterdale, and I'm running her campaign as well. So... There's a bit more background as well. Uh, I've got a dirty secret, which I might share at the end. We'll see how good you all are, right? <laughs> Tantalising. Now, that'll make you stay till the end, you see, because you're waiting to hear what that is. Um, so I'm just going to share my screen. Right, this is an explanation, as you can see, from what it says about the AMS system and the list vote strategy. And as you're all Glaswegians or roundabout, this is about the Glasgow region as well, so you can uh, get your home turf. And I've put up the two ballot boxes because I want to emphasise the two ballots that are there, the constituency and the list, which is really important. So here's the voting systems, of course, we've got to remember they're in place. The local government one, which is one, two, three, transferable vote. The Westminster, which we mark with an X, and the Scottish Parliament election, which is unusual, and has two ballot papers. And we often have to remind people of that 
when we are talking about the election. So uh, <clears throat> moving on, right? And if we look at the 2016 election result, that tells us quite a lot because um, you need 65 MSTPs to get a majority in the Scottish Parliament. There are 73 constituency MSPs and 56 list ones. And the effect is really, you need to get MSPs in the list if you're going to have a majority of any kind. And at the current situation, the SNP are two seats short of a majority. They've got 59 on the constituency and four in on the list. And as I go on, I'll talk about how that affects things. So let's look at how it works. So there's the two ballot papers, the constituency ballot and the list ballot, which is the modified the hunt system. And if you look down at the bottom there, I've put a formula there. Now, this is a simple formula. It shows you how the list votes are allocated at each stage in the ballot. And that's an important thing to note as we go through it. It's very simple. But first of all, I want to explode a myth that you see often in social media about numbers with statements like the SNP would need 10,000, 100,000, 150,000 votes to gain a list. Those statements are actually meaningless. And I'll explain why. Because the list seats depend not only on the number of votes that the SNP might get, but the number of votes that other parties get in relation to the SNP. You can't take one party in isolation. You've got to look at the share of the vote across the parties. And that's really important when thinking about how do you calculate how a list vote is going to be, how a list seat is going to be allocated. Now, lots of um, small indie parties talk about, you know, the SNP will never get a list seat because they win so many constituency seats. But let's have a look at how it might work out. Take Glasgow, where the SNP got all the constituencies, but no list seats. Now, if the SNP vote remained exactly the same, didn't change, but the other party's votes reduced, the SNP could gain list seats. It could gain multiple list seats. Now, that's not going to happen. But what, I'm using that as an example to explain that your share of your votes is important, not the number of votes, because you have to take into account what the other parties get. And of course, if there's multiple other parties, then it changes things. And of course, if you look what happened in North East Scotland in 2011, the SNP won all the constituencies and it gained a list seat. And that is really because of the size of the list vote. The indication of this, and this is the maths, if your vote share goes up, the other parties go down because the total share of list votes cannot exceed 100%. It's a percentage, cannot exceed 100. So if your share goes up, the others go down. And that's why I talk about the relationship of the votes between the two parties. Now, that might sound complicated. I'm going to give you a worked example of it. But first of all, I want to point out that when people use these big numbers and charts and things like that, lots of people look at them and think, 
oh, that's complicated, so it must be right. It's complicated because they're trying to confuse people and make things complicated. You can't use these for forecasting or comparisons, but you can use the share of the vote, and that's important. And you can also use it when you're thinking about how do the um, opinion polls work. Anyway, let's look at the Glasgow region result. And this is what happened last time, where we got all of the seats won by the SNP, but they got none in on the list, despite getting 44.8% of the vote. And that's why people say, I oh, know you'll never get a list seat. Well, that's not true. And a lot of people don't realise that 44.8 is not a great list vote in Glasgow. A lot of people would think it would have exceeded 50%. Well, it should have, but it didn't. And here's what happened with changes from 2011, where we actually dropped two seats on the list. So we want to look at how that happened and how did a Conservative and Labour MSP getting on the list extra because of that. And that's really important for the politics of it. So let's start and I'll go through the calculation. This the formula down there, the vote share divided by MSPs plus one, right? And that's what's used all the time. And this is our starting point here with SNP on nine constituency seats. So a total of nine seats on 44.8% of the vote, Tories on 11.9, Labour on 23.8, Greens on 9.4, Webdown's on 2.4. And I've added Rise and Solidarity together there. They both didn't get very big shares of the vote. So it came to 2.4%. Now that's not going to get them anywhere, but that's where they are at the moment. So here we are at stage one. So sit tight, re-explanation, remember that formula? Vote share divided by number of MSPs plus one. So at stage one, the SNP had nine MSPs in Glasgow region. So you add one to it, getting 10, divide it into the share of the vote, gives you an answer of 4.5. Tories had no MSPs, add one to it, divide it into the share of the vote, gives 11.9. Labour had no MSPs at stage one. Add one to it, divide it into the share of the vote, gives 23.8. And it's the same formula applied at each stage. So at stage one, Labour had the biggest quotient or result, so they get allocated the first MSP. Now, hold on to your hats, here's stage two. And at stage two, SNP have still got nine MSPs, so we're dividing by 10 into their share of the vote, so it's unchanged. Tories still have none, so adding one to that and dividing the share of the vote is unchanged. But here, Labour were allocated an MSP at stage one. So now we add one to that and divide by two into the share of the vote giving an answer of 11.9, and so on. The formula goes across the stages. Now, because of rounding, the Tories vote is slightly higher here, so they get the next allocated MSP. Right, so that's stage two, <laughs> and we move to stage three. 
And at stage three, nothing has changed for the SNP. They've still only got nine MSPs. I say only nine. Uh, so they're dividing by nine plus one. That's 10, unchanged. The Tories, however, picked up an MSP at the previous stage. So they now have one MSP. So we add one to it, makes two divided into their share of the vote. Gives an answer of 5.9. Labour, they've got still got that one MSP. So we add one to it, giving two divided into the share of the vote. Gives you 11.9. And the others using the formula exactly the same. So this time Labour have the highest quota. So they get allocated an MSP at stage three. Stage four, right? We're continuing to use that formula in the corner. So SNP are unchanged. Tories are unchanged from the previous stage. Labour, of course, picked up another MSP at the previous stage. So they've now got two. So we add one to it and divide by three into their share of the vote giving 7.9. Here, the Greens, they had no MSPs, so add one to it, divide in a share of the vote, they gain an MSP at stage four. Lib Dems rise in solidarity, no change at all. They're still not in the running. So that's stage four. Stage five, SNP still unchanged, given an answer of 4.5. The Tories, they're unchanged from the previous round on 5.9 because they haven't gained any more MSPs. Labour, they are have two MSPs, again, as same as the previous round, so they've got an answer of 7.9. The Greens, of course, picked up an MSP at the previous stage, so now one plus one is two, divided into their share of the vote, gives an answer of 4.7. The others are all unchanged. So Labour are allocated an MSP at stage five. You notice how these numbers are all starting to converge. They're getting quite close. Stage six, and here we have SNP are unchanged and Labour, of course, they now have three MSPs. So adding one to it, giving four, reduces their quota Quotent to 5.9. So the Tories end up with the highest result, being unchanged from the previous stages. So they are allocated an MSP at this stage. So that's stage six done. And at stage seven, still using that formula, Labour get allocated the last MSP. So that's how the result ended up in Glasgow at the 2016 election. And you can see how the share of the vote is used to do the calculation there. These are all real numbers, and I use real numbers throughout this presentation. No fantasy stuff like that. So let's talk about how important the list vote is then. And here's what would happen if the list vote had matched the constituency vote. Now, what I did was I added up the constituency vote in the whole of the Glasgow region, and it came to 52.52%, but the list vote was only 44.8. That's quite a gap. That's uh, over 7% gap. 
between the constituency vote and the list vote. These are people that voted SNP in the constituency, but didn't vote SNP in the list. Now, if they'd voted SNP in the list at the same percentage, then the SNP would have won a list seat in Glasgow. In fact, it nearly have won two list seats in Glasgow. So it showed you just the importance of that list vote. That's crucial, actually, in getting seats. So, and this is what happened in North East Scotland in 2011, which is supposed to be impossible. People tell us it can't be done. Here, the SNP got all the constituency seats and it won a list seat. And the reason it won the constituency seat and the list, seats, uh, list seat was because of that vote share of 52.7%. Once you get above that 50%, no matter if you win all the constituency seats, you start accumulating extra list seats as well. So let's carry on and look at this. So there's the implications, right? The way the maths works out, every independence party on the list needs to get about 5% of the list vote to get a seat. That's the way the maths works. If you get below 5%, you're not going to get a seat. And John Curtis, he, uh, you know the prof, prof from Strathclyde, he says Scottish voters don't favour new parties. And in fact, the Greens who've been campaigning for 21 years on the Scottish Parliament election, they only got to 6.6% in the last election, whereas Solidarity, running on its second Scottish Parliament election, got 0.6%, nowhere near the 5% needed. Rise, on its first session, got 0.5%. Very hard for small new parties to break through and get to that 5% barrier that would get them a list seat. So, but these additional parties, they do have an impact because they take votes from established ones. In fact, the new indie parties, that's their uh, raison d'etre. They, they want to take list votes from the SNP and the Greens. They're not about creating new list votes. So they're, they, that'll have an impact. Now, here's the actual list results in uh, the 2016 election. And if you look near the bottom of the table, here's UKIP, Solidarity, Scottish Christians, Rise, you know, all with small percentages. They don't get any seats because it's far too small. The Liberal Democrats scrape one, uh, just getting in above 5%. This is, however, a really telling table, which I hope you can see the numbers. Here, the SNP, it raised its vote in the constituency and got an extra six seats, but it dropped its list vote by 2.3% in 2016. And that led to a loss of 12 list MSPs. It's that crucial at the list, special at the top. Small percentage drops cause a big drop in the list vote. Now, if you look further down, you'll see the Greens. They increased their vote by almost exactly the same as the SNP vote reduced. And that got them an extra four list MSPs. And that's the effect of the multiplier on this, the calculations for the list vote. So a loss of 12 
next to a gain of four is a very poor bargain in this. And that's one of the things we've got to look out for. The easiest way to add more independence MSPs to the list is actually to increase that SNP list vote. And that's a big concern. And I did a calculation across the whole of Scotland. And again, these are the real numbers. And I said, if the list vote had matched the constituency vote in every region, the SNP would have had an overall majority of three. And we'd been in the same territory as 2011 with an independence referendum. And of course, we're getting into the politics now of why we couldn't have a referendum before. And that's the problem with having a minority government. Anyway, moving in, because some people say, why not just give the second vote to the Greens? Aren't they independent supporters and could form a coalition with SNP? Now, this is just fact, I'm not green bashing, but the Greens have already turned down coalitions with SNP and they operate in opposition, as you know, and they frequently do. Independence is not their green, keen green policy. Their green policies override it. They are quite purist on that. And they have a track record of threatening to bring down the SNP government, particularly at budgets. Now, can imagine if they voted down an SNP government budget, that would bring down the SNP government and that kills independence. We're not going to get independence without the SNP in some way or another being in government. They are the party that will deliver it. So uh, that's a, a big concern. And does that apply to the new smaller indie parties that are contesting? Probably, right? They say they'll hold the SNP's feet to the fire. How will they do that? By threatening to vote against them. That's not going to be a good look. So, and implementing some of the green policies. Now, my friends in Fife, if we hadn't built the Queen's Ferry Crossing, we'd have lost masses of votes in Fife. That would have been a massive vote loser. And the other thing is we can't predict how many constituencies the SNP will actually win. Remember that the Greens are standing in multiple constituencies this time. And in fact, Ruth probably wouldn't have got elected in Edinburgh Central if it hadn't been for a Green candidate standing on the constituency. And of course, the minority SNP government doesn't command legitimacy in UKIs. They only respect majority governments. It reduces your leverage. And you lose control over key constitutional committees. And we've seen one committee that's gone a bit rogue recently. And that is a really important thing. And lastly, almost lastly, to the voters, confusing messages on the list vote just show division and they don't win us support. So we can't afford that. Now, a lot of people are saying, look at the opinion polls, SNP are going to win a majority and I see there's another one out. So you're saying, can we build a strategy based on them? Well, let's look at what we can learn from the past opinion polls. So here's the opinion polls in the run-up to the 2016 election. Again, these are all real numbers, right? And the, uh, the top faint line 
yellow line is the SNP list vote in opinion polls, and the darker yellow line is the constituency vote. And all the little dots, dots are opinion polls. But these lines are a 30-day rolling average to smooth out rogue polls, right? And you can see that at the peak of the campaign, the constituency poll for the SNP recorded 26% and the list vote 54%. So the SNP were looking really good then, but they dropped by 13% in the run-up to the election. Now, that's when all the bad media publicity kicks in when the unionists and the BBC have a real go at kicking the SNP. And frankly, it's happening again, isn't it? You can see it. So expect a similar sort of thing. Now, we didn't reach this peak in the current opinion poll. Now, what I did then was I looked at where are we now? So this is a comparison for the 2021 election. The graph is the same 2016 one, but the time I did this slide, the SNP constituency was at 52% and the list vote at 43. Now, actually the constituency but it's probably down below 50% now, marginally below 50. And this latest opinion poll has the list vote way below that. So things are not looking comfortable for any kind of SNP majority at the moment. So that's the lesson from opinion polls. Now let's look at this complaint that the SNP have done nothing since 2016 to advance independence. Well, they're a minority government, which is very limiting. It doesn't give the political legitimacy, so you can't demand the Section 30 like you did in 2011. And adding the votes of all the independence parties together, we still got under 50%. So there wasn't even a popular mandate in 2016. And the other thing is to say, right, the SNP have actually done a lot of work to prepare for independence, which a lot of people forget. So let's remind ourselves of this. The Scottish Parliament passed a referendum bill. It's really important to take control of it away from Westminster. And Nicola did announce, remember, at the end of 2019, we would get a referendum in 2020 because you saw the way the polls were going and you hold a referendum when you think you'll win it. And they set up a Scottish Government Department to prepare for the referendum. They set that up at the start of 2020. And the question was put to the Parliament and sent for testing. And of course, we now know in the bill, it's the same question as 2016, you know, should Scotland be an independent country? And in that referendum bill, the Scottish Parliament has the ultimate say on the question the conduct of the referendum, and also the voting franchise, which is really important. So it includes 16-year-olds and EU nationals who are very big supporters as well. And that takes control away from Westminster and puts it into Scotland. And then, of course, in March, the announcement that referendum preparations were postponed because of COVID-19 and in fact, that government department that was set up was 
redirected to the COVID response, which is the only thing that could have happened. And of course, we've had the announcement there will be an independence referendum for an, an SNP majority in 2021. And of course, we've had the independence referendum bill published as well. But what we need to do is get that majority in because anything else is a bit dodgy. And of course, there was the SNP conference which said the decision will be for Scottish people only, ruling out any other interference. So, looking at the implications for an independence referendum. So in 2011, the SNP government had a majority and that gave it that political legitimacy. It's a very powerful thing to be in. In 2016, we lost that political legitimacy. We lost that lever. That meant that we couldn't make that demand like we could have before and forced it through saying, we have the political mandate to do it. But we can change that in 2021 and we can get that upper hand of legitimacy again. And with that, and this is important, we can influence appointment of a presiding officer. Remember, the current one has made all sorts of dodgy decisions about independence. So if we can influence that because he decides or she decides the competence of the Scottish Parliament powers. And other parties taking the list vote risks an SNP majority and it allows dismissals of trickery and gaming the system. It allows a escape clause for Boris and Lord Snooty down in Westminster. They can just say, no, no, you tricked, you gamed the system. It's not a genuine result. So this is my personal view. Remember, I'm not speaking as an SNP thing. Getting 50% of the constituent and list votes would be a terrifically powerful place to be. Getting a majority, get that popular mandate. So here are the lessons I think we need to learn. I've shown this. Polls don't predict the result. But the other thing is a supermajority is no better than a majority in gaining independence. I see people saying, wipe out all the unionist MSPs or get rid of them. But that doesn't help. We have an independence majority in the Scottish Parliament at the moment, but it's not good enough. And that list vote is crucial to getting that working majority and political legitimacy. Worrying, though, dividing the list vote won't produce that. And Rise has shown that the new indie parties get fewer votes, but take critical votes from the SNP. So, and remember, Rise was the alliance of its time. You know, it, uh, it was supposed to be a combination of independence-minded parties. So we should actually set, a we should, I believe in targets. We should set a target. But gambling is really risky. This independence is too important to, to have a flaky gamble on the list. So I think we should campaign hard. Both votes SNP. It's a powerful, simple political message to get across. Now I want to talk about the unknowns, right? Because there's so much involved in a Scottish Parliament election that is full of unknowns. 
they are very hard to predict. We don't know how many constituency seats SNP will take, especially with the Greens contesting what's more. And we can point to about two seats that they helped Tories win at the last election by taking votes from the SNP. So we don't know how many list seats the SNP will, will need to win. And we don't know the impact of the Greens, as I say, standing constituency candidates. We don't know how many list seats the Greens will win. These are extremely difficult, difficult to calculate. And any new party needs to get over 5% of the list votes to get any chance of a list MSP. So a really difficult thing to do, as we've seen with RISE and SSP and all the other parties. So new indie parties of RISE and Solidarity, they both got less than 1% in Scotland in 2016 across the country. That is a really low vote. It is hard to get that breakthrough. And no one knows how many SNP or Green List MSPs would be lost. Because remember, new indie parties take list votes from the SNP and probably the Greens. Now, that could mean that crucial seats can be lost and that unionist MSPs could come through the middle. Now, that would be a disaster. We could actually see an increase in unionist MSPs out of that. And no one knows that this attempt to game the system might in fact produce a unionist majority by mistake. It's a terrific risk. That's the gamble, right? Which is just not being acknowledged. And no one knows how many votes would switch to brand new parties they've never heard of. At the moment, the new indie parties combined in the polls are showing very, very few you know, just above 1%. So voters tend to be loyal to parties in the main. We're talking about small numbers here that make a big difference. It's a big risky gamble, which could have dire consequences. And this is what worries me, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I can't see why we would risk it. So here's our optional, choose your headline, right? Either indie disaster, SNP and Greens lose list seats, unionist majority in the Scottish Parliament. That's what could happen if we split the list vote multiple ways, which is starting to look like it, and we end up with Dross as the First Minister. Or here's where we want to be, independence is coming, SNP majority in Scottish Parliament, and a referendum. So my route to independence... Both votes SNP, get a majority SNP government with a legitimacy to stand up and say, we have the electoral mandate from the people of Scotland. Demand for the Section 30 would then be irrefutable as in 2011. But if that was refused, what a strong position we would be in. Take us to court then, because we have an electoral mandate as a majority government and you're ignoring the wishes of the Scottish people, I don't think they would succeed in court. But what that would just build support as well. So this is all part of it, which will lead us to independence. So that is why I say both votes SNP. It's 
to me, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really. Okay, thank you very much. You've all hung on there wonderfully. <laughs> thank you for that, Tony. Thank you. That was very interesting uh, and a lot of food for thought there. I would like to sit and go through the figures again. Um, so have we got any questions? Has anybody come up with There's anything? a question from Ron Cully, if Ron would like to read out his question. You can unmute yourself, Ron. I just heard on the on the, the radio as I was going up the stairs there that Alex Salmond has just announced he is to lead a new party called ALBA and will contest all of the list seats in Scotland with four people in every region. The question I asked was, will this hoover up all of the wee parties that have been set up, indeed, and also a lot of green votes, to uh, build what Alex Salmond is calling a super majority? Uh, um, I'd say, first of all, and I say, we've got a majority in the Scottish Parliament, or we had until it was disbanded just two days ago. We had a majority for independence. But what we actually need is a majority government, right, as we had in 2011. A, a, a majority of MSPs is really not powerful enough. We need that strength, and we can do it. We have that in our power. But ah. your specific question about Alec, right? Now, I've campaigned along the doorstep with Alec over the years. I was a, an enormous fan of Alec. He took us to a wonderful place. I can't describe how disappointed in him I've been over the last couple of years, uh, and particularly his behaviour. But also, I think he's damaging the independence cause more than he realises. Now, I know he's hurt. And I know that he's really hurt, and there may be a lot of stuff in the background to it. But to me, independence is bigger than everything like that. So that so really hurts me. I, I, I don't I, think he's going to hoover up. That, that's an opinion, and I, I, I understand I, that. That's not what I'm asking. I'm hmm. asking, with Alex Salmond, who is a formidable, formidable politician, with yeah. him coming in, heading up a new party, Will this hoover up all of these smaller parties that are trying to uh, do, just as you've been discussing earlier on, will have this have the effect of hoovering it up and uh, building what he's calling a supermajority in, in Parliament? I, you know, he's standing and he's announced in four regions, I think. All, no, all regions, with four, oh. four candidates oh. in every region. All right, okay. Uh, the last thing I saw, I saw was, uh, but I mean, if he's standing in every region, remember that the media will love Alec because he's dividing the independence thing. But the other parties, I can't see any sign of them not standing as well. So we're going to have five or six independence parties on the list vying for the list vote. And some of them are reasonably well established. They'll probably uh, bite into the Greens. He will certainly bite into the SNP. Um, and I've shown that the SNP's constituency votes are really at risk, right? And they will need list seats to get a decent number. Uh, I, I, I can only see disaster from this, to be honest. Um, he, he, he might well waste personality and um, gain a few seats like that. Where does it get us, though? You know, um, went back to my slide about, you know, um, gaming the system and trickery. Where does it get us? 
it, it doesn't actually improve on where we've been and we need to learn the lessons and those particular lesson of 2011 and get to that situation. But from, from your experience, Tony, and given the, given the slide that you offered about Glasgow, Aye. Glasgow is not fertile ground for the list vote. Um, and even by your, uh, your best calculations, it suggested that only one person might be added to that vote uh, in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. Whereas if Salmon stands, and I'm not suggesting this, I'm just I'm trying to work out for myself what is the impact of this going to be. I just heard about it uh, at three o'clock uh, when we kicked off here. Um, if the, the, and I, I, I've got a lot of followers on Twitter and I know the debate and I know mm. the Kennedy, he's got support within the party. And if the pro-independence voters flock to Alex Salmon, might he get three or four seats as opposed to the one seat that might fall to the SNP on the list in Glasgow? I, I don't think there's any chance of him getting three or four in Glasgow. I mean, what he'll probably do is take out the green and uh, supplant that. Um, I can't see much. You have to get quite a high percentage yeah, but to start knocking in two list MSP. Remember, Labour and Tories... Well, right. all of the all of the other candidates had zero seats, so they're all starting from a level floor base of their vote. That that list vote will be the sole determinant. And Salmon is not standing in any constituency; he's only standing in the list seats. Yeah. So every vote for that Alba party will be a, a vote for uh, his independence party. Yes, I understand that, and of course the constituency votes don't count when you're calculating list seats. But as I showed, it's the share of the vote. He's got to, first of all, get above 5%, get his first one in. He's going to have to get above 10% to get the second one in. Now, that's a really big number to get as a share of the vote. Remember, you know, that's, that's really difficult for parties to achieve. The Greens... And, and Patrick Harvey's got a big profile also, 6.6% after 21 years of campaigning. Now, we, we're, we're wrapped up in this. We're in this campaign thing. We're interested in politics and stuff like that. But when we go outside of our thing, most people are ignoring all this. They're busy getting on with their wives, their kids to school, their shopping. They're worried about their vaccinations and things like that. They're not wrapped up in it as closely as we are. I don't think it has the impact it has. But what I think the media will do is use it as a divisor on the independence campaign. They'll wrap it up. They'll think, this is it. We can set one against the other. And that's my biggest worry because it damages everybody. Okay. Alan, we have question. We have a couple of comments. Will I read them out? And I've also, yep. also got questions from uh, John Hedges and Jim Stamper. So we have a comment from Fiona McGregor about the supermajority. And Fiona says, Alex Salmond is stating that a supermajority means that Westminster will be taking on a whole parliament, not just one party, which strengthens the case. That is what Fiona's quoting Alex Salmon, just for information. There's also a comment from John Dick, and John says, the danger is that the media will simply see this as an SNP defeat 
and multiple independence parties will not create unity in Parliament, but will have more infighting. So um, the, the next question would be from John Hedges and then Jim Stamper after that. Um, OK, thanks. And I, I was actually considering SNP 1, Greens 2. So this has helped to clarify some of the things. Um, but does the arrival of the Alex Salmon party uh, splitting the independence vote even further, make an SNP 1 and 2 even more necessary? Uh, well, yeah, you would expect me to say yes, but listen, I'm not the, um, the a Nicola Sturgeon cult follower or anything like that. I'm focused on the one thing, and that's independence, because I've got children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I want to leave the Scotland that they deserve. Right. So to me, it's independence. How do we get there? Right. And that's what's led me down this path that we actually need an SNP majority government. And I see the comment also. Yeah, that's absolutely right. If we end up with an SNP minority government or even less SNP MSPs, it's a defeat for independence. That's what will be seen. And it will be written off. And I fear that this will see us write off independence for a long, long, long time. You know, and I think, I, I find it strange that we in the independence movement are actually very close to throwing what so many people have worked for so long away. That really, really worries me about that. John, I've almost lost track of what you were asking me. Because I was getting into that. Did I cover it? Uh, yeah, I think so anyway. I don't know about anybody else. Mm. <laughs> okay. Jim, are you up next? Yeah. Um, during the talk, you had mentioned the point that the SNP had dropped 2.3% and lost 12 list seats. And the Greens had gained 2.2% and got 4 now, if you were saying that Alex Salmon's party has to get at least 5%, in my view, the place that that's going to come from is all the people who have taken his side against Nicholas' side, and it's going to be the list vote from the SNP that's going to go. So if that dropped by 5% and Alex gets 5%, he gets one seat. How many list seats is the SNP going to lose? It just defies common sense, you know, I just feel his ego's got in the way. I, I think you're, you've, you've summed it up, Jim. That's what's really, really worrying me. Um, because a new small party, and as I've shown that, it really needs to rack up high percentages to get anywhere. Um, but at the top of the pile, you make small percentage fluctuations and you drop a whole lot. And what's really worrying me is I don't think the SNP, this is my opinion, right, is going to get the number of constituency seats that the polls are projecting. I don't think it will even get the number it got in 2016. And it's going to need list seats. Now, I think the list vote is standing somewhere about 30, 38% for the list uh, and for the SNP in the list at the moment, which is below where it was in 2016, and its signs of dropping. And that worries me, 
because I think we're we're going to lose this. I'm really worried. We're going to lose this. We're going to lose this election. We're going to see less SNP MSPs than before. It's going to be seen as a failure for independence, no matter if there's a few other Indies uh, creep in there. And if they manage to scrape it into an independence majority in the Scottish Parliament, it will be seen as just gaming the system, a phony result, we're not listening, and it won't even hold up when we when they try and take us to court. You know, I, I, I can't understand why we're throwing it away. Thank you. Oh, thanks for that. Mary has a question, Mary McCabe. Sorry, I've always got a struggle with these two screens. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just, I, I feel it's maybe a wee bit, um, I mean, the two things, looking at the SNP um, list vote and, and constituency vote all over the country, I don't think that's as relevant as looking at your own area because they vary so much. I mean, they took, I think, two seats in the two seats in the board, two seats in the Highlands and Islands, wasn't it? And um, and and um, a couple in the borders, I think. Now these are uh, these are areas where the SNP is weak. Um, Highlands and Islands. I mean, you've got the Shetland and Orkney voting Lib Dem. Even if the whole place falls into the sea, they'll go on voting Lib Dem. They'll be voting Lib Dem next century for some reason, which is unknown to anybody else. <coughs> So that weakens the SNP, and, and, and the Highlands and Isles is such a big area that, that that was probably why it did it. But if you're in the central belt, um, I mean, the, the, in Glasgow, I know you gave Glasgow as an example, but in the central belt, before the last election, I looked at the numbers, um, and, and no, after the last election, and the SNP wasn't even next in line to get a seat. The last seat went to the Tory but the, the one who would have got it after that would have been another Green. The SNP wasn't even next in line to get another list seat. And I, I always feel um, if the Green vote had been a wee bit higher there, then we could have knocked out that last Tory. Um, because the Tories didn't really deserve two seats in Glasgow, for heaven's sake. I mean, Tories in Glasgow in the same sentence. Um, so... I feel you really should look at your own region. Um, I get what you say about it's important that the SNP is seen as a majority, as a, as a, a majority government because of the presentation of it. The, the, the media will present that as the SNP um, failing to win, to win the parliament and so on. But um, the, the worst of all is if we lose the independence majority and the Greens... Um, you know, shilly-shallying though they are and all sorts of other things involved that people might not believe. Um, at the moment, they're the only thing that's really in there with a good chance on independence. So and I feel you should look at your own area and, and cast your second vote according to that. That's just Did you have a question, Mary? Look at your own area. Would you, would you agree with that? I'm a bit uh, slow in the uptake today. Mary, it's a really good point. But what you're doing is you're taking the 2016 election. Yeah. Saying, if those votes happened like that again, mm -hmm. first thing we'd say is, they're not going to happen like that again yeah. because this is a different election. And look at my list of unknowns. Remember my list of unknowns. It's mm -hmm. very, very hard to predict what's going to happen in a Scottish Parliament election. In fact, that Professor John Curtis said, the list vote, it's almost impossible to work out how that's going to come, happen. And here's one of the reasons why. You've got Patrick Harvey standing mm -hmm. in 
to go in one of the constituencies, and he gets a big vote, right? And the SNP MSP who's standing in that constituency, their majority is not that big. If Patrick increases his vote a bit more, when he's had a lot more publicity over the last few months, we could see that MSP, SNP MSP, losing their seat, Patrick won't win it, and we end up with another unionist in on a constituency seat in Glasgow. So when you're looking at this, we can't predict how many seats the SNP is actually going to win in the constituency. And that makes it very difficult to predict how the list vote's going to then, how the allocation of list seats is going to pan out, because you've got one less in there then. So that makes the calculation extremely difficult. And of course, the other aspect is, if you get other, what, the six smaller indie parties coming and taking a few percentage each from the SNP and the Greens, that again changes the balance. And it, as I've said, can let more unionists in. So there's only one certain way to do this, right? And that's give both your vote to the party that's actually going to deliver independence, right? Yeah, I mean, you've said it in yourself. If it's not a majority SNP government, you know, it's not going to be taken. It's not going to have the credibility. It's not going to have the power. It's not going to be able to deliver it. So that's the answer is staring us in the face. We're in danger of throwing it away, though. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Patrick Harvey taking the constituency seat, which is Kelvin. No, no. No, no, not taking it. Taking enough votes. Oh, taking enough votes, yeah. To, yeah. to, to lose it. To lose it, yeah. Well, it, it is a new person standing in the constituency because Sandra White's retiring. Yeah. Um, but but as far as I know, the, the other parties in Kelvin have been very weak up till now. It's always been, um, you know, the Greens are second to the SNP. But, of course, as you say, the future is an unknown country. I'll have a look at what happened in Edinburgh Central. Right, the, where the Ruth's majority is what two two thousand something like that, and the Green got a vote of I think nearly nine thousand. Right, the Green vote was far bigger than Ruth's majority. If that Green hadn't stood, Ruth Davidson would not have been a constituency MSP. And you could look at the same in Mandel's seat down in the borders as well. Right, this is the impact that Greens have now. Greens are standing in a lot more constituencies. Uh, in my neck of the woods, they're going to stand in Leith, and that could end up with losing another Lothian seat as well, right, which was a bit of a disaster last time. Everything is up in the air. There's so much that's unknown. I, I think you, you can see this, all these unknowns, that we have to think, what's the safest, quickest, shortest, most sensible route to get us to where we want to be. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Mary. Who's next, Val? Um, Bernie Elliott. Well, there's a couple of comments. I don't want to miss anybody out. Will I just quickly read them out before we come yeah. to Bernie? Yes, um, please. There was a comment from um, Colin and Morag Simpson to say that it was a great presentation, Tony, and it's definitely um, going to be SNP 1 and 2 for them. There was also a comment from 
um, Robert Ingram saying that he thinks that SNP support among non-members appears to have fallen in his area. So, uh, and then um, we've got another comment from John Dick. The danger is that splitting our votes between Greens, ALBA, ISP, AFI would simply make it more likely that the Tories will get even more undeserved seats. They are at least united. And yeah. that unity versus division is our biggest danger. Uh, and uh, so Bernie Elliott and then Ron Cully would like to ask another question if there's time, Alan and Tony. Bernie, if you would like to unmute, yeah, there you go. Thank Great you. questions. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I'll just put on the speakers gallery. Yeah. Okay. What I wanted to say was um, thanks for your talk. It's very been very interesting. I was just wondering, how do you think the actual Labour Party, do you think their vote's going to increase this time round? Because there's so much anti-Tory feeling now in this country, it's possible that they may do better. But another question, if I could ask you a second question also is, what strategies and tactics can we employ to convince people to give both votes to the SNP? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, Bernard, uh, uh, they're, they're great, great points to make. Um, uh, our strategy, well, remember, I'm not an SNP official or anything like that. I'm just a punter like the rest of us, right? <laughs> just on the grounds. But I've been doing this for a long, long time, right? <laughs> and, uh, and as you've all stayed here, so I think we're getting the end. I'll tell you my dirty secret at the same time, right? That at one stage, I was George Fowke's election agent. <laughs> that, was, that was when I was in the Labour Party. And, and I'm still a socialist, but the Labour Party aren't the socialists anymore. But I'm still a socialist, right? And uh, that was a long time ago. And I've learned my lesson. But the Labour Party trained me in campaigning techniques. So that comes back to your, you know, how, how do you explain this? And I've, I've got to say that whatever you think, Nicola Sturgeon has been a phenomenal leader. She stands head and shoulders above all the others in it. And she's actually our ace in the pack, right? Now, I'm not really into personality cults, but I recognise a good thing when I see it, right? And she has done such a terrific job of answering questions, standing up to all this. She's come out stronger out the crap of the last week than anyone could have imagined. How she's done it, I don't know. She's superhuman, I think, you know, impressive. Well, women are better than men anyway, but she's terrific in that, that thing. Um, and and, and uh, to me, it's like, saying, do you want Nicola Sturgeon to continue to be our first minister? If you do, then your list vote is crucial to get a return, right? And that's my simple message uh, about this, you know? Um, that's the way I say it. And when I talk to people round about, and I'm notorious for chatting to people all over the place, and they, they say, 
Nicola, she's doing such a great job. I realise that this transcends everything. And the other point out of that is that people have, over the last five years especially, they've started to see that Scotland actually makes a far better job of running itself than the Westminster Parliament does. And that's grown confidence in Scots, and particularly those in the margin in the middle who were unsure that we could actually run our country far better than having Westminster run it. And that's a powerful thing. And you can see that in the reflection in the, in the increase in the yes vote and all the rest of it. And that's why that yes vote hasn't increased because we've been out campaigning on independence because we couldn't, right? That yes vote has increased because people have looked at the Scottish government and said, they're doing a good job. They could actually run the country with the full powers of an independent country. Now I've rattled on that much, I've forgotten your first question. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. This is an age thing. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you thought the Labour Party are going to do better this yeah. time round. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the Labour Party have lost their way, totally lost their way. And nobody knows what they stand for anymore. I, when I'm out campaigning, uh, and I've done this a lot of time. Labour voters are basically our voters. It's our constituency. It's our demographics. They are, they are, they are the people that would vote for independence, given a chance, if they weren't in that small group that are going around painting red, white and blue everywhere, right? Um, I don't think they are going to do as well in this election as they did in the last election. That, that's just my opinion. But I'm looking at the local government elections that have just taken place. And I know there's a few today, and I'm looking at the returns uh, from my friends that are coming in uh, who are at the count. And the SNP votes are all way up. And the Labour vote is either stagnant or dropping. And that's an indication, right, also that we are we're actually building and Labour is going down. But we're fighting over often the same people, you know? And as I, as I said in my dirty secret, I was in the Labour Party once. A lot of our members were in the Labour Party once and we moved into the SNP. It's that drift. Now, in my local branch, our membership is up 25% over the last week. That's incredible, right? And that tells me there's a trend going on as well. Behind the scenes, last time I saw that was after the 2014 referendum when people were so pissed off, they thought, that's it, I'm joining the SNP, right? And we got a big surge then. That surge is happening again now. It tells us there's a trend happening, right? And it's unseen at the moment to most people, but I share it with you. Um, we've got two people who want to ask supplementary questions, but could we go to Marlene first because she hasn't asked her question yet. So Marlene Halliday and then after that, um, back to Ron Cully and Jim Stamper. Uh, hi, yeah, thanks for that, uh, Val. Tony, I'm just thinking about the kind of slogans that some of the small list only parties are using. So Max, a yes is the obvious one. And then there's various ones around 
wasted votes. And even if these slogans are factually incorrect, they still have traction. They, you know, people have a feeling response to them. I just wondered if you've got any suggestions for slogans that um, could be used to counter those ones. Honest, Marlene, you know, coming up with slogans for elections are way above my pay grade. You know, <laughs> I'm basically the guy that uh, delivers leaflets. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, but uh, I, to me, I, I, to, you're, you're an important audience because you're influencers. You're, you're really important to understand all the thinking behind this. And I wanted to give you, you know, my thinking so you could take it away and, and, and boil it down and consider it because you'll talk to other people as well. You'll talk to your families, talk to others, um, do it. I think that's the, the best way to counter these things. I get so disappointed in the national because it seems to be trapped into this constant uh, letters from people with the max uh, yes and wasted votes and things like that. And the biggest thing that bothers me about it is they seem to be concentrating on, they're saying, we need to get less unionists in and more in the MSPs. And my focus is, I want independence, right? How do I get that? It's not about the number of unionist MSPs, right? It's about getting independence. And what's the path to that? Um, in terms of uh, slogans and things like that, I'm a great believer in positive messages, right? And I think uh, what's happening, what, what I choose and what's going on my sister's campaign is these are all the good things that the Scottish government has done in Scotland. And you can, there's lots of them. They're great, right? And I say, think what we could do with the powers of a normal independent country. And I want people to think about, you know, positive about where we could go to because we're in this dark place at the moment with COVID and Brexit, which is going to burst on the scene any minute now. So I want them to think the better place we could get to. If I was running the SNP's campaign, that's what I would be doing. <laughs> that's, that's, that, thanks for that. I see we've got one suggestion. John Dick suggest, just suggested SNP, if you want to be free, which is quite yeah. it's got a certain ring to it, and you know, yeah. and or a slightly shorter one would be SNP one two three. I, 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 you have to always be in tune with what the general public are thinking, and at the moment, independence isn't top of their list. If you look at the National Attitude Survey, you know, it's it's education actually. And kids, your kids at school is the top priority, you know, and then it's uh, uh, economic, their economic survival, either domestic economic survival, work, things like that. Independence is way down the list, you know. So when we're talking in this election about voting, we can use it as an opportunity to say, we as a country could do so much better and we could all benefit from that. Not a very good slogan, though. <laughs> so it's Ron Cully now. Uh, uh, thanks, Val. Um, I, I start with a confession as well, Tony, and I'm mildly in love with Nicola Sturgeon, so that, that, <laughs> that should colour my 
my, my comments. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, despite my my admiration for her, um, I want to. Everybody here wants independence tomorrow. No question about that. This conversation is about how best do we achieve that. Mm. And I honestly want to take a cold, hard look. Not right. I'm not caring about whether people like Alex Salmond or prefer Nicola and all this bollocks. I just want to say, what is the most effective way of getting unionists out, getting an SNP majority and securing independence? Now, I'm Boyd recently. We, we, we recently had a, a, a Zoom meeting with the local branch here um, which Kate Forbes spoke and was majestic, I have to say. Oh, a, yeah. a, leader, a leader in the waiting, I tell mm. you, it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. But we were informed that night that over the past few weeks, 100 new members had joined here in Eastwood who were taking on Jackson Carlaw. So I think there's an undercurrent uh, going around just now of people who are watched Nicola on the television and said, look, that lassie's getting a doing for nothing. When you look south and you see Johnston and his cohorts behaving as they are. So I'm comfortable that things will, will, be, will, will be reasonable, but it's cold, hard logic. And um, I, I see again in the news that one of the SNP candidates on the list system, I can't remember which uh, region it was, has already jumped ship and joined ALBA to become the list candidate for ALBA. I, I, I just I want to just raise the issue. It, when you talked earlier about gaming the system, gaming the system, I think, only applies where the SNP establishes a mini SNP or an associated. That's them gaming the system. Nobody could argue that Nicola has set up ALEC to uh, form a party in, in, in the interests of the SNP uh, as it stands in uh, Hollywood. So I don't think it's gaming the system, but I... I I think we have to take seriously the fact that there is, because I wanted them to gain the system. I wanted the SNP to say, look, we understand the party apparatus um, sets up all of this infrastructure of list candidates, but and, and therefore they have to, to back them. But if they hadn't done that and set up a separate party, might they have achieved better results? Now we are faced with that reality because Alex Salmon's party will loom large in this election. And I, 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 my cold hard logic is that if that results in one unionist being shown the door, if Murdo Fraser is booted out of parliament, I'll salute that. But like you and like others, my cold hard logic isn't yet, I'm not finalized, but what, what's the best thing to do? SNP one and two, or SNP Green, or SNP Alba, I'm swithering, as half of Scotland will be. I, I don't have a question. I just want to get off my chair. <laughs> no, but you... And by the way, I was 40 years in the Labour Party before I chucked it and uh, saw sense. Oh, well, you beat me. I was only 35. <laughs> Still a socialist, though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for that. Jim, are you up next? Um, just comment on what Ron's points were about, you know, whether he should be going for Alba or whatever. The concern is, again, if, if he does get... I mean, I'm, I think he'll get more than 6% of the SNP people voting for him, but uh, the, the members. <clears throat> but if he gets 6% of the national 
how many? I mean, he's only going to get one or two list people. Whereas if he takes six percent of the list vote away from the SNP, if a drop of two point three percent lost them twelve seats, what's the drop of six percent going to do? So I think the, that would be a really strong thing to put out. You know that reducing the vote, the list vote for the SNP is going to have a much bigger negative effect than the equivalent gain for the smaller party. So if you had the graphics that you could maybe give us that we could do something with, that would be good. Tony, how many list MPs does the SNP have at present? We've got four. Four. But, but that's not the point. It's how many list MSPs would we get at 2021 election? Because you can't go by the 2016 election because that's not going to, it's not going to be a rerun. It's going to be totally different, right? And I've explained that because I think we could end up with less constituency MSPs. And remember in 2011, we had a lot less constituency MSPs. We had 14 list MSPs at that time. A minute. No, 16. 16 list MSPs in 2011. And that gave us a majority. And that's more a sort of normal situation where you get lots of list MSPs in. And I think we're heading back, hopefully, in that sort of territory as well. But that makes you very, your list vote very vulnerable. So, you know, yeah. and in terms of a graph of that, Jim, it's really tricky because there's so many variables in that. There's, you know, there's shares of votes of all the parties. As I said right at the start, you know, when I was talking about exploding the numbers, you don't just take account of the SNP share of the vote. You need the Tory share of the vote, the Labour share of the vote, the Green share of the vote, Independence Party shares of the vote, and all of that is used to calculate the, the allocation of seats. So there's so many variables, and you can't produce a simple simple yeah. graph for it. You know? Again, sorry for interrupting, but again, the point that Ron had made too about there's, you know, how many list MSPs did we have in 2016? That kind of kills that. You can't lose 12 list seats you don't have. So, yeah, no. you can see the problem with it all. Yeah, yeah, but you don't, that's not going to be the situation in 2021. Yeah. I know, I know. You I, don't I, know potentially what the number of list MSPs would be. Yeah. So, potentially the number you'd lose. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that, Tony. I, I think uh, I'm stunning everybody now. Yes, I think uh, we seem to have run out of questions. Um, <laughs> but um, I think we'll wind it up from there. Um, thank you again, Tony. Um, on one level, you've been, um, educated us on the system. Other levels, you've depressed, well, me anyway, you've depressed me with certain things, uh, but uh, given, me, given me optimism on other things. Uh, but yes, a very good explanation of how the system works and how small amounts of votes make big difference. Uh, so from Glasgow, Greater Glasgow Pensioners for Independence, I thank you very much for the talk. Thank you.